Hello there, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are trying to find and explore faith and spirituality outside the walls and the fences of institutional religion. Before we get started with today's episode, um, I'd like to remind you that you can find all of the content that we are creating and curating for the Accidental Tomatoes community on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. There you can find every episode of the podcast along with blog posts from our team of writers and a brand new curated content page with links to the articles and various media from which we are drawing insight and inspiration. I'd also like to announce something we're really excited about here, um, and that's that Accidental Tomatoes has been selected by the nonprofit organization West Virginia Can't Wait to be part of their 2022 Citizen Media Program. We will be in a cohort with um, a dozen other uh, independent media outlets um, helping to catalyze important conversations about the issues that are important to folks here in our home state of West Virginia, as well as across the Appalachian region and around the country. We'll have more to say about that in an upcoming episode of the podcast. And finally, if you're someone who is in deconstruction right now or struggling with organized church in some way, but still looking for a community where it's safe to have doubts and questions, stay tuned to the end of this episode when I'm going to talk for just a minute about uh, an on online alternative online community that I lead called New Wineskins. Um, and that's it's a community where we are carving out a, a virtual space where folks can have real and vulnerable conversations about faith and spirituality and still feel encouraged and supported. So again, stay tuned to the end. I'm going to talk just for a second about that community and how you can get involved if that's something that you would be interested in. So sadly, I have to start off this episode with um, with a little bit of sad news. Brandon Wood, who has been uh, my co-host and uh, an excellent co-host uh, for this podcast since early on in season two, um, is stepping aside for a while to focus on some other projects that he's involved in, especially um, with, with making music and running his um, production company called 5PG Recording. I, I'm so grateful to Brandon for his partnership uh, over the last year or so of the podcast. Podcast. Uh, and while I'm certainly um, sad to not have him uh, in the co-host chair anymore, all of us at Accidental Tomatoes certainly want to wish Brandon the best as he explores new adventures uh, in his career and uh, especially with uh, some of the music that he's um, going to be putting out. I hope you'll search him out uh, and enjoy uh, some of the, the the art that he's creating. Um, but just again, wanted to to reach out and say thank you to Brandon. Uh, we're going to miss you, buddy. Uh, hope everything goes great in your new endeavors. So um, so while we're kind of shuffling the deck a little bit and lining up some new guests for upcoming episodes, uh, kind of a little bit of a throwback episode, kind of a going back to the the monologue format that that we did here at the very beginning. Uh, so I'm I'm not really used to not having other people to talk to, <laughs> but but for this episode, um, I want to just take a few minutes and talk about some of the things that have just kind of been on my mind as I continue to experience my own current waves of deconstruction and as I continue to have conversations with folks um, who are in that space. 
I read this article the other day on um, a, a newsletter that I subscribed to through uh, a United Methodist um, outlet. That and the, the title of the article was called Five Tips for Healthy Deconstruction." Of course, I was, you know, red flags go up immediately when I see a title like that. And and basically, uh, I'm not going to get really deep into the article, but but honestly, it was kind of like it, it felt like what you'd expect. When, when church people try to tell those of us who are experiencing construction how they think we should do it, right? Um, now to be fair, the author was, uh, wasn't dumping on deconstruction, uh, the way that many folks, especially from kind of the evangelical camp have been doing lately. Uh, the article did acknowledge that deconstruction can be a healthy thing for many people. Uh, and especially for those who have experienced harm or trauma at the hands of congregations or pastors or, other leaders. Um, but it did offer, uh, to me, a predictably sort of shallow understanding of what deconstruction is, of the causes for deconstruction, and um, the wide range of ways that people experience deconstruction and, and why that's uh, important. I think I think it just failed to sort of go deep enough to, to discover some of those things. Essentially, it came across, to me at least, as an attempt to keep people in the fold, so to speak. The the tone, I guess, was more or less control your deconstruction so your deconstruction doesn't control you. And, you know, for God's sake, don't leave the church, right? Which for those of us who have experienced or are experiencing deconstruction is, is just a bunch of, of BS, honestly. And that this is a big part of the problem for that a lot of us face, right? Especially for folks like me who are still part of the institutional church, but who are trying to offer some healthy critique of the systems and structures that are at the very least not helpful to a lot of people and at the very worst downright harmful. And, and, and the sad thing for me about pieces like this, this article, you know, five tips for healthy deconstruction or whatever it's called, right? To me, they fail to recognize that this thing that we call deconstruction or, or what we might otherwise just call doubt or questioning or unraveling or unpacking and so forth, it's not only a natural and necessary part of spiritual development, but but that it might require walking away from the church, whether that's for just for some period of time or forever, and that that's okay. Pieces like this just don't seem... Um, to understand that, right? In fact, to me, if there's anything worse than having your deconstruction called out for, you know, heresy or apostasy or whatever, it's, it's having your deconstruction kind of co-opted by churches who think they can wrap their, you know, cozy warm blanket around you and make everything all right and keep the whole thing sort of, you know, under control. And I think, I think that's the thing for a lot of us. The fact that in so many cases, the church has just become so thoroughly out of touch with the actual human experience that fewer and fewer people want anything to do with it anymore. And that's sad because there's still so much good that the church can offer and so much good that the church can do in the world. The, the church can be a powerful place for authentic community, a place for healing, a place for giving people hope. The church can be a really important hub for resources 
for for people who are marginalized and oppressed and exploited in our you know our neighborhoods and our towns and cities but but too often the church has just become this kind of place of stale tradition and and quite frankly lazy theology that that just can't seem to get out of its own way to to do better and to be better thankfully that yeah i mean there are pockets right thankfully within the institution where things are beginning to change. And I want to acknowledge that, right? I think there are some places where people are embracing new ideas and new paradigms where her whole communities, for instance, like our new wineskins community are undergoing deconstruction together, not to abandon their faith, but to build something stronger and more meaningful and, and something that's hopefully more transformational. You know, when, when we've had, Folks, and we have had folks on the, the podcast here who are, you know, actively serving as pastors or leaders in, in faith communities of various types. We've been really intentional though, when, when we've had those folks on about finding people who are willing to critique the system, right? And willing to step out of that. Oh, we've never tried that before box, right? We, we've looked for folks who are willing to admit that the system is broken and are working to try to make it better. So I say all of this um, because I think that there's a lot that our churches could learn from people who are deconstructing their faith or deconstructing religion or deconstructing theology or ecclesiology, right? Their relationship with the church itself. I think there's a lot um, that the church can learn. So so what I wanted to offer sort of um, in response to this, you know, five healthy tips for deconstruction is my top five things that I think the church needs to know about deconstruction. So here we go. Jo- Joe's top five things that, that the church needs to know about deconstruction. Number one, deconstruction doesn't mean giving up, right? Deconstruction does not mean that we are giving up on our faith. One of the biggest things that I wish churches and their leaders would understand about this whole deconstruction thing is that it doesn't mean we're giving up on our faith. To the contrary, for most of us, deconstruction very often seems like the only way that we can keep our faith. Well, I've kind of figured out here recently that that while I can now track the beginnings of my own deconstruction back to a conversation that I had around 13 or so about evolution and creation with both my pastor at the time and my eighth grade science teacher, right? The the seeds of that conversation about evolution and creation came to fruition about 25 years later when I really finally started digging into the Bible for myself, honestly, for the first time and recognizing the really kind of broad disconnect between what I saw as the way of Jesus and the message that the culture was hearing from the institutional church. The more I learned about the historical context of the biblical narrative, the deeper I really wanted to go. But I saw that there were these large chunks of the institution that didn't really want to make space for the kinds of questions that people like me were asking. And I think a lot of you can probably resonate um, with that. I've often said that that when that happens, when you kind of come to that point, you, you basically have two choices. You can give up altogether or you can start the work of kind of taking the problem apart to see what's worth keeping and what needs to go to see what's worth kind of hanging on to and, and, and building on 
and what just doesn't, you know, kind of belong in your faith experience, right? Giving up didn't really seem like a, a legitimate option to me, right? I, I've said before, you know, that that if you don't have reconstruction after deconstruction, you're basically um, just sort of becoming a nihilist, right? Um, which is, you know, fine for some folks, but it didn't work for me. Um, so I, I dove headfirst into theology. I went back to school to get a master's degree. I became ordained in my denomination, all as a way of trying to sort of um, enact or, or, or at least be kind of a champion for reforms for, from the inside, right? Rather than just kind of throwing rocks from the outside. Nearly everyone that I know in deconstruction is doing it because they really, really, really don't want to abandon their faith. It's just that the system makes it really, really, really hard not to. All right, so the second thing uh, that I wish the church understood about deconstruction, the second thing is deconstruction is a necessary component of healthy spiritual development, right? And we've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit, really, over the last year, and you know, especially since Brandon came on board. You know, that was a conversation we had a lot, um, you know, particularly because of the kind of sort of evangelical, fundamentalist, charismatic um, background that he came from. But And really, ever since we had um, Emily Davey, she was Emily Stewart at the time before she got married. Um, but, but, you know, since Emily was one of our very first guests back in season one of the podcast, we've talked a lot about James Fowler's work in outlining the various stages of faith development that people can go through. And, you know, a key component to progressing through those stages is what Fowler would have called stage four, right? Which is where doubt and questioning come in. Essentially, it's that necessary step of examining the faith that you've inherited, either through, you know, your family or through the community that you're part of, and then interrogating the parts of, of that that seem to be in conflict, right? Uh, with, with itself sometimes or just with reality as you perceive it. By the way, I've found that I think something similar to this stage of faith development is true about almost any kind of endeavor, right? Or especially if it's sort of a learning um, endeavor, whatever it is that you're trying to learn, right? You start with the basics and then you come into more and more advanced and more and more nuanced information. And I think there always comes a point, whatever it is, where you can't really go any further if you don't stop and look back and see how some of the more nuanced stuff that you're starting to learn maybe contradicts some of the foundational stuff. That that doesn't make the foundational stuff wrong. It just means that it's incomplete, right? That there's more to know, right? That there's more to learn. But it's one of those things that, that you can't know that until you know it, right? Here, Here's an example. Let me give you an example. I was um, an English major in undergrad. Um, and so to get my degree, right, I had to take all of those basic building blocks that I learned like in high school English, right? Spelling, grammar, syntax, all of those things. And then, you know, apply them to more and more and more advanced forms of literature as I'd studied, right? Now, at the same time, I carried a minor in journalism and public relations. Now, 
Those all have to do with, you know, the way we use language. Both of those fields, journalism and public relations, have their own particular styles of ways that they use the language to convey ideas in very specific ways to very specific audiences with, it should be noted, very specific agendas, right? So learning to write journalistically, right, and, and to write promotionally was radically different than writing literarily, right? It, it has to be, in, in a lot of ways, it has to be more conversational. It has to be more approachable and more accessible because again, right, there's, there's a reason that you're writing these things. And sometimes you have to tweak the rules so that you can be understood in a different way. Now, that didn't make everything that I had learned about spelling and grammar and syntax wrong or obsolete. It just meant that I had to learn to use those tools in ways that, that sometimes kind of seem to break their own rules in order to advance that different kind of agenda that that different kind of writing carries. When churches stifle people at stage three and discourage the deconstruction that's necessary to move on to the later stages of spiritual development, they're basically just saying there's no more real growth to be had here, right? You, you have peaked, right? We, we might, we might dig a little further into where we are, but we're not really going to take you any further, right? At, at which point, right? We, as we now know, the church, when it does that, becomes that sort of controlling, colonizing and sometimes even traumatizing institution that a lot of us are just saying, you know, just doesn't work anymore. And it's because they they stifle that growth at at what Fowler would call stage three, um, because going through stage four and beyond is scary, right, to the institution, because that's when they begin to feel sort of a lack of control. All right, so Moving on, item number three on my list of things that I wish that churches understood about deconstruction. Item number three, church, it's not me, it's you, right? Remember, remember when you were, you know, in, in high school or college or something, you're in a relationship and, and, and the time comes to end that relationship and there's that old breakup trope, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. It's not you. It's me. Well, church, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's not me. It's not us. It's you, right? Churches really need to understand that the reason that so many people are breaking up with them is that it actually is the church that people need to get away from. It's not us. I'm sorry. It's you. In 2007, this book came out called Unchristian, and, and it was based on a bunch of this research that um, was done by the Barna Group, which is like this leading Christian uh, research firm. This book came out, and um, and it kind of revealed um, research about the attitudes of uh, young adults, right? At the time, I think it was like 16 to 29-year-olds, and, and it was about like these people's perceptions of the institutional church, both from inside the church and from outside the church. And when that book came out, honestly, I was really excited when I first read it, because to me, I said, oh, here finally is an opportunity for the church to take a hard look in the mirror and make some changes that are that are really necessary. You know, 14, 15 years later, the church still hasn't done that, right? The the mass exodus of people away from the church 
over the past at least two, maybe three generations now, and maybe even beyond that, right? Really shouldn't be a surprise to, to anyone, um, especially to anyone who, who read that book, right? Because rather than engaging in any authentic introspection or self-reflection, for the most part, churches just doubled down on people who were leaving over, you know, doctrinal and theological differences. We had a chance to really make some reforms based on some real authentic data, but but we kind of just decided, you know, to blame the other people for their issues rather than really look hard at why we were causing those issues. People who are deconstructing can see very clearly that cognitive dissonance for what it is and have said loud and clear that if the church can't change, we don't, a lot of us don't want any part of it. All right, item number four of things that Joe wishes that the church understood about deconstruction. Number four, deconstruction is not a disease. Deconstruction is not a disease. There seems to be this fear uh, among some churches and the people in some, especially leadership in churches, that if they accommodate people's deconstruction, um, you know, they, they'll bring up that slippery slope argument for one thing. Um, but, but they also seem to have this fear that if they accommodate people deconstructing, that that's going to lead to more and more people kind of catching deconstruction, right? Air quotes. Um, like it was some kind of virus, right? Or, or that if they continue to associate with us, that somehow makes them, you know, complicit in our apostasy. Um, but, you know, far, far, far too many of our churches treat people who are um, deconstructing like pariahs. I, I think that they think maybe they're punishing us by cutting us off from the community. And I know a lot of us feel the pain of getting cut off from that community. But all that really does is confirm what we've already come to know about the church and, and some of the things that I've already mentioned here, right? Listen, we it's the other it's the other piece of that breakup trope, right? We can still be friends, right? Well, honestly, we can. We can still be friends with you. We we don't think that you're bad people just because we've come to start believing some different things than you do. We we understand that not everybody comes to the same conclusions, and especially that they don't come to the same conclusions at the same time. We're not trying to recruit you into our deconstruction. All we ask is that you stop trying to recruit us back into what we perceive to be an unhealthy um, system, right? Um, because all we all we ever wanted was just to be real with. Just be real with us. If you see us in the coffee shop or in the pub or on the street, you don't have to you know, run to the other side of the street or ignore us. We're still glad to have conversations with you. Just, we just want you to drop kind of the sanctimony, right? And, and just be authentic. All right. Finally, coming, coming to the end of, of this uh, little rant, I guess, of mine. Uh, item number five in the things that I wish that churches understood about deconstruction. Number five, people in deconstruction desire authentic spiritual experiences, not emotional manipulation. This is another one of those things that, you know, uh, Brandon and I have talked about a lot here on the podcast, again, because of kind of the background that he came from, right? That This whole idea of, um, you know, being able to kind of discern between what is an authentic spiritual experience and just pure emotional manipulation. 
Like I said earlier, nearly everyone I know who is deconstructing is doing it not to get away from their faith, but to grow more deeply and more authentically into it. And and one of the things that we value the most is the sort of authentic spiritual experiences, what what I like to call encounters with the divine or what, you know, in, in some places you might read, might might call them, you know, mystical experiences or or things of that nature. Too often, all we get from churches, again, painting with very broad strokes, not wanting to throw out, you know, every th- throw out the baby with the bathwater or, or toss, you know, every church under the bus. But but too often, when we're seeking authentic spiritual experience, all we get is that kind of cheap emotional manipulation, formulaic songs and litanies that are designed to to evoke an emotional response to make us feel good and and to kind of feel spiritual for a moment, but don't take us into that deeper well of spirituality where it can get hard and messy and and difficult, right? And and sometimes even dark. But that's where like the real development and the the real meat of spirituality can come from. We get fed mission and outreach programs that are just kind of formulaic and transactional rather than relational and transformational, right? On the other hand, you know, a healthy faith community can provide the kind of space where that kind of experience can happen, that real authentic experience can happen. And if it's a really healthy community, it can even become the kind of place where that kind of experience becomes a regular part of the rhythm of life in the the online community that I lead that I that I mentioned before and I'm going to talk about here again towards the end a little bit um our community new wineskins we place a very high value on paying attention to all of the ways that that the various spiritual practices that we engage with whatever those are you know meditation or prayer or um you know, walking in nature, whatever those spiritual practices we engage with are, both as individuals, as a community, we want to pay attention to the way those impact and transform not just us, but also the various spaces that we occupy in the world. And so our theology of worship has sort of um, evolved to this space or kind of organically become rooted, not in rituals and repetition, but in, you know, deep dialogue that is both, again, organic and also very vulnerable and authentic. Now, we don't always get everything right. I'll be the first one to admit that. Um, but by prioritizing authenticity, we hope to create an opportunity where people can experience divine presence, as I like to call it, through community and conversation. So for whatever it's worth, there there it is. Those are the five things that that I think— um, that the church needs to know about deconstruction, five things that I think the church can learn from people in deconstruction and how to better relate to people who are experiencing deconstruction by whatever name you want to call it again, unraveling, doubt, questioning, how, however you want to phrase it, right? And I, for one, believe that the sooner the church can start to imagine some new paradigms that honor and encourage and support deconstruction instead of, you know, vilifying it on the one hand or just sort of molly coddling it as this article that I referenced did on the other hand, the better off we're all going to be. Thanks friends for, uh, for listening 
to this episode. Again, feels kind of strange to be doing the monologue thing again. Um, but I'm, I'm anxious to, to get some new guests on in coming episodes, um, and begin to, to kind of dive into some interviews that I think, um, that I think you're going to find meaningful as always. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, I would love for you to leave us a rating and a review on, you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you happen to be listening. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just do a search for Accidental Tomatoes and we'll come up. And again, all of our content is available on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. Uh, as always, if you have any ideas or suggestions for future guests or topics that you'd like for us to uh, to talk about here, you can reach out to us uh, on those social media channels, or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at Accidental Tomatoes, you can do that through Patreon. Um, we're in the process of kind of uh, restructuring and retooling um, so some of our, our, our Patreon um kind of structure there. Um, but, but you can always go to um, patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes uh, if you'd like to support us that way. And finally, as I said before, if you are looking for a community of people where you can feel safe and supported in exploring your own deconstruction or just voicing your doubts and your questions, feel free to, to check out our regular Sunday night gatherings of our new wineskins community on Zoom. Um, you can participate as much or as little as you'd like. You can lurk right with, with your camera turned off. Um, you don't even have to put your name up on the screen if you don't want to. Um, or, or you can dive right into the deep end, right? And, um, just get fully involved in the conversation if that's something you feel comfortable doing. If you want to learn more about new wineskins, um, and our weekly gatherings, just go to newwineskinsnetwork.org where you can find out everything that's happening in, in that, uh, community and all of the ways that you can get connected there. So until next time, friends, please keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.